All right, grab a Bible. Now we're preaching. John chapter 3, verse 16. We are accelerating through one verse of the Bible. We're going to be on words 5 and 6 in this verse today. We, uh, a couple of weeks ago, decided that the worst posture the people of God can take to God is, hey, we've got God all figured out. So we want to take the most popular verse in the Bible and spend 10 weeks on it. And we're going phrase by phrase. So two weeks ago we looked at for God. The Greek word God is theos. It is just a generic word. Right? Similar to our English word God. It just kind of means whatever you want it to mean. But God is a name. The name he gave Israel is Yahweh in Hebrew. And his son Jesus, Yahshua. And we talked about the idea that though you can know God's name, it's an invitation to relationship. God, you can never come to the bottom of who He is. You'll never fully figure Him out. So we live in this tension that drives our worship. Our worship is founded on the fact that God has spoken and we can know Him, but we'll never figure Him out. And we want to recapture a sense of awe and a sense of wonder and a sense of mystery about who God is and what God is like. Because He's not just like us, only bigger. And so for God was a way of saying, hey, we know Him, but we'll never, ever, ever figure him out. Last week, I was up at a, a retreat for our families up in Forest Home, and so all, we flew in from Irvine, Kyle Zimmerman, and he talked about love. That was a joke, flew in from Irvine. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Evidently, I was the only one. We, uh, and we talked about the, why is there a D at the end of loved? I mean, the verse would make more sense in my mind if I were writing the Bible, which you wouldn't want. For God so loves the world, he gave his son. But it's in past tense. And as it turns out in Greek, there's a tense that's used that we don't have in English. And it's a tense that says this love of God for people began outside of time. It, it's a love that if you were to try to find the origins of it, you, you just couldn't. It's just, it's, it's beyond any, our understanding, our theologies, our anythings. And this love provoked God to do something, and then, in response, the ripples of that something still kind of affect us today. And so the idea was, the reason Paul can say so confidently, nothing can separate you from God's love, is because you had it before you were even born. So you didn't do anything to get it. So you can't possibly ever lose it. And so, from there, we accelerate through uh, uh, words five and six, uh, so we're going to look at, for God is so loved, there we go, ladies and gentlemen, John chapter 3, verse 16, let me get there and let's read it together, John 3, verse 16, okay, let's read it with me, as soon as I get there, here we go, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, the word world is the Greek word cosmos. K-O-S-M-O-S. Cosmos. Can I have the Greek pronunciation, please? Sorry, a little spelling bee moment there. Um, could you use it in a sentence? I'm compelled by the spelling bee. I will not lie. I will not lie. You ever watch it on TV? Anybody? Oh my goodness. I'm alone up here. Jesus, give me a church that watches the spelling bee. 
For God so loved the world. The Greek word is cosmos. And there are three different meanings of the world in the New Testament. I want to show you each of these three. Go to the book of Acts. Flip over a book. Acts chapter 17. Paul is speaking to a bunch of Greek philosophers. And he uses the word world in an interesting way. There are three different ways this word cosmos is used in the Bible. Now, for the next ten minutes or so, it's going to get a little philosophical. Forgive me. I'm sorry, I I mean, I hate assuming that you're intelligent and can follow along, and so um, I'm just going to assume those things. But every now and again, we need to dive into some distinctions that are a little out of the ordinary, but they're really important to understand what God is saying. So, Acts 17, verse 24, Paul says to this crew of Greeks, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Now, what would you guess from the context? Would, what is meant here by the world? What would you say? Yeah. The, like the created universe. The earth. So that is exactly the first usage. The God who made the earth and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. So that's the first way it's used. Second way, go back to Mark chapter 16. Mark chapter 16, just real quick, verse 15. Mark 16, 15. God so loved the world. What's that mean? Well, there are three different meanings of that word in the Scriptures. One means the earth. Second one, Mark 16, 15. Jesus said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Now, does that mean Jesus is telling us to preach to the flowers and the trees? No, so who's the world? Yeah, people. So go into the collection of humanity and preach the gospel, right? So meaning number one, the earth. Meaning number two, the people on the earth. Meaning number three, 1 John chapter 2. Oh yes, just so much Bible. I just want to apologize. I'm so sorry. We look at so many verses. Okay, 11, come on, my goodness. I'm in a great mood, and I'm alone, evidently. I just, nine o'clock thought I was funny. So you either need to force it, or... 1 John 2, verse 15. I love this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. Now this is just after we've read that God loves the world. (laughs) (laughs) and then listen to this sentence if anyone loves the world love for God is not in them oh of course for God so loved the world so evidently the command is God loves the world you're not allowed to right for everything in the world the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the father but from the world The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, if you're just reading this in English, it's kind of confusing, right? Okay, so God made the world. God loves the world. You're to go in the world, but don't love the world yourselves. And so what we're trying to do is distinguish three different meanings. So the world can mean the earth. The world can mean the people of the earth. And the world, and this is the tricky one, can also mean... And this is how it's used here. The organized systems of human society that stand in opposition to God. 
That clears it right up, doesn't it? The organized systems of human society that stand in opposition to God. Those values, priorities, the, the cultural uh, kind of world in which we live, anything that is the collection of unredeemed humanity, any structures or systems or values or priorities that stand in opposition to God, that is what it means when it says, do not love this world. It doesn't mean, do not love creation. No, we're called to actually use creation as a way to understand God and worship God. And it doesn't mean don't love the people of the world, because John 3.16, for God so loved the world, not the flowers and the trees, but the people of the world. But then you have scriptures that warn us against the world, and it's this third understanding. See, the scriptures understand that there are two components of worldliness. There's the component of fallen human nature. So when you get a bunch of humans together, and they're not redeemed, they're not going to put God first. Would you agree? They're going to create systems and structures that exclude God from the conversation. And then there's also this kingdom of darkness, this demonic realm that exists. And you put all that together, and that's what the world means. So think of it this way. The world is that way of thinking that makes sin seem normal and obedience to Jesus seem crazy. The world is that way of thinking. So, if you want to really provoke conversation, be single and abstinent. Because people are going to look at you like you are nuts. Why would you do that? Right? The world makes sin normal. Well, of course you're going to sleep around. Of course. I mean, of course. You're, that's a human natural desire, right? I mean, why wouldn't you? So the world is that part of our world the world is that part of our culture that makes sin seem normal. Well, of course everyone's greedy. Of course money makes you happy. Are you with me on these distinctions? Now, it's really important you understand them. Because when John says, for God so loved the world, he means humanity. But there are other instances of the word world that mean either creation or this system of human thinking that stands in opposition to God. And it's this system we want to talk a little bit about this morning. Because on the one hand, we're called to be in the world. And in the other hand, we're called to be not of the world. And it's that part, not of the world, that we want to focus on. Alright? So, creation, humanity... No, I mean, I. who is it? <laughs> I'll be glad to answer. All right. See, that was part of the world. Right there. That stands in opposition to God and the purposes of God. Oh, we're clapping for that. All right. Now, we got one more cut at this, and this is where, if I'm going to lose you, this is where it's going to happen. Okay? If you're not, if you may be saying, well, it happened about 10 minutes ago. Thank you very much. Three senses of world, creation, humanity, and this organized system of thinking and living that stands in opposition to God. Let's look at that third one. Okay, that third one does not refer 
to all of non-Christian culture. When I grew up in church and people talked about the world, what they meant was anything that wasn't stamped with a fish, a cross, or a verse. Okay? So what was worldly music? Anything that wasn't Christian music. Now, back when I was growing up, the Christian music choices weren't all that great. Okay? We had Amy Grant. You may love her, but El Shaddai just didn't fire me up to follow Jesus. I didn't even understand what she was saying. You know what I mean? El Shaddai, El Shaddai, da-da-da-da, Adonai. Okay, I got that part. And, and, but, but my church said anything that's not Christian music is worldly music. Or, so I just thought, well, okay, so I can't. Or movies. The only movies we were allowed to watch were movies that were really terrifying about how awful it would be to live during the tribulation. And that was it. Like, we didn't have the love dare back when I was growing up. You know what I'm saying? And so, sorry. And so, so any movie that wasn't Christian was worldly. Any song that wasn't Christian was worldly. In the Bible, those labels, those labels don't apply. Being Christian was always a noun. It was, it was never an adjective. Meaning Christian, the word Christian always referred to people. It didn't refer to pens or stores or sweatshirts or music. There's no thing as Christian music. There's just music. Some of it is focused to Christ, some of it's not. You have to understand that our world doesn't teach us discernment, it teaches us labeling. So, if it's non-Christian, it's bad. If it's Christian, it's good. Let me ask you, is everything labeled that's labeled Christian good and of Christ? No, how about the Inquisition? I mean, let's just start there. And is everything that's non-Christian, is it automatically false and bad? See, no. And our young people, we, the reason so many students follow Jesus and then abandon Him in college is because we've taught them just to label, not to discern. We actually believe there are things that are good and true and beautiful out there, too. Now, truth out there will never contradict truth in here. But this, doesn't, this isn't a propositional statement of every true thing that's out there. This is a story of a wild, untamed God pursuing people. It's not a record of every true proposition ever uttered. So the people of God isolate themselves, label things, and we think that's our job. So our kids go to college, they sit in Western Civ 101, they're hearing all of these ideas, and they don't know that they're equipped, or should be equipped, to be able to sift and sort the good from the bad. Because there is good out there, there is bad out there, and there's neutral out there. I mean, when, I, when I'm deciding between Ben and Jerry's and Baskin Robbins, <laughs> that's a morally neutral thing, would you agree? Now you may be saying, hey Erie, you really need to go to 24-hour fitness instead. <laughs> now, that's a different conversation, all right? And if I could catch you, I'd have that conversation with you in a different sort of way. <laughs> but there are parts of the world, like non-Christian culture, that are neutral. There are parts of non-Christian culture that are good. Mondo, fire up the PowerPoint. 
Put some ants up there. Sluggards, you know who you are. Sorry, I was looking at Josh. I just didn't, I didn't, I couldn't tell. Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. Now, what's the implication? Can you learn things from nature? Yeah. Right? I mean, the heavens declare God's glory. So certainly, when we talk about the danger of the world, it it doesn't mean things in nature are automatically false. We can learn things. Okay, second. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. Does this imply that Egypt had wisdom? Well, yeah, I mean, the, the point is, no, 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 Solomon's wisdom surpassed all the other wisdom of the world. But it kind of opens the door to the idea that, well, there actually was wisdom elsewhere. So whenever we talk about other religions, are other religions automatically all and thoroughly false? Is everything in other religions false? All right, let me give you some Buddhism. Noble truth number one. Life is suffering and out of joint. Can we agree with that? (laughs) You bet. Now, their diagnosis and prognosis extremely different from ours. But can't we both agree in saying life is out of joint? Absolutely. See, all we're doing is used to labeling. I think the scriptures teach us to discern. Next. So this is Paul again. Now what's fascinating? Read the book of Acts and read Paul's speeches. When Paul speaks to Jewish people about Jesus, he quotes the Old Testament like crazy. When Paul speaks to people who've never heard of the Old Testament, does he quote the Old Testament? No. He quotes the authorities, the Greeks, considered authoritative. So, this is some of Paul's speech. Go, uh, God did this, excuse me, so that they would, they being us, would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. And then notice this little, this little quote. For in him we live and move and have our being. And it's from a Cretan philosopher. Now that philosopher, to our knowledge, was not a follower of Jesus. But the Greeks knew who this Cretan philosopher was. And fascinating, so did Paul. And Paul quotes him. Ripping a quote and saying, hey, this actually argues for Jesus. And then if that were crazy enough, as some of your own poets have said, and then he quotes this philosopher, Aratus. So in your inspired word of God are philosophers and poets that the Greeks would have considered authoritative. Now, does this make anyone uncomfortable? It shouldn't. Because truth outside will never contradict truth inside. It's just saying all truth is God's truth. All beauty is God's beauty. All goodness is God's goodness. Even if Jesus isn't getting direct credit for it, his church can claim it for him. So, hold on, white people. So when I take my shirt off in front of my wife, she can praise Jesus, is what I'm saying. I'm just, I want to make that clear. 
Now think about this. We're making the point, the world. Okay, keep this in view. Is the world, does that mean the earth or creation or only that part of non-Christian culture that's antithetical to Jesus? See, non-Christian culture is a mixed bag. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. Some of it's neutral. And what we're called to do is to not just slap a fish, a verse, or a cross on things and say, well, if it's Christian, it's good. Men and women, there are things that are sung in the Christian community that are false. There are things that are spoken in the Christian community that are false. There are things that are sold in the Christian community that actually violate the teachings of Jesus themselves. And what you cannot do is just say, well, if it's Christian, it's good. When did, when did that become okay? And conversely, when did we start saying, you see a part in a movie that isn't a Jesus movie, claim it. If it's true, it's yours. So if I'm going to talk to non-Christian people who don't value the scriptures, I'm not going to go quoting the Bible at them all the time. I'm actually going to pull from experience and real life and examples, and I'm going to use that stuff to make the case for Jesus. This is what Paul was doing. And how many of our young people need to know that that's okay? So, on the one hand, there are parts of non-Christian culture that we can claim for the name of Jesus. But also, there are parts that are totally damaging and corrupt. And those are the parts we need to stay away from. Go to John chapter 17. So we have this posture that Christians talk about. We're in the world, but not of the world. Let's look at what that means a little bit. Now, are you guys tracking with me? So what does it mean? The world, creation, humanity, or that, those parts of non-Christian culture that are actively and organizationally opposed to God. Now, that's a whole lot of discerning the Christian community's got to do. Unfortunately, we don't want to do it. We just would rather label things. And so please forgive me. I want to challenge us. Don't, I don't know why I'm asking for forgiveness. Maybe for being too handsome. I want, to, I, I want us to consider that there is far too much that we uncritically accept. Because you can take this idea that there's good out there and push it too far. You can say, well, yeah, I'm just being relevant, so I've got to watch all of this stuff. I've got to go to all of these websites. I just want to know what the kids are up to. And that is not at all what we're talking about. John chapter 17. Notice this. Jesus is praying for his followers. And he has this very, very fascinating prayer. John 17, verse 14. So he's talking about his disciples. He's praying to the Father. He says, I have given my disciples your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. But my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. In other words, any impulse the Christian community has to pull out of the world, segregate itself off from the world, isn't an impulse from Jesus. Because Jesus prays, Though they're not of the world, keep them in the world and protect them in the midst of it. So we can enjoy creation because it's good. We can love other people because God so loved the world. But we're called to reject 
and resist those parts of non-Christian culture that are antithetical to God. Go to Romans chapter 2. Paul says this beautifully. Let's go to Romans chapter 12. I mean, put a one in front of that too. So some of it's good. We looked at that. You can learn things. We can claim wisdom and we can claim truth wherever we find it. But some of it's bad. And far too many of us allow this organized system of thinking and priorities to actually influence us. And so Paul writes, Romans 12, verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now what's he talking about? The pattern of creation? No. The pattern of people? No. The patterns and the values and the priorities of this fallen world don't conform to those. But be transformed by the renewing of your what? Minds. So we're talking about a system of ideas and of values and priorities that exists. And that God's people in the world, they're called to be right smack dab in the middle of it. To work around people that don't agree with them. To live with, around people that don't agree with them. To be faithful around people that don't always think that what we're about is a good thing. And in the midst of that, to live in a way that claims all that's good out there for the name of Jesus and rejects all that's bad. So Paul says, don't be conformed to the patterns of this world. Now think about what that means. Mondo, fire up the PowerPoint. Fire up the charts. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to chart number one. Mondo. Okay, so I'm going to go brown room for chart number one, blue room for chart number two. Okay, here are Jesus' values. Take them from the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those that are meek, those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, those that are merciful, pure in heart, those that are peacemakers, and those that are persecuted because of righteousness. I don't know any single human person that wants that whole list. Because we value the opposite. Right? We don't value the poor in spirit, we value the self-confident, those that take charge, those that are competent and self-reliant. Instead of the mourning, we value the pleasure-seeking. Life's too short. The hedonistic, the beautiful people. The meek, the gentle. No, no, no. We love the proud, the powerful, and the important. Those that hunger and thirst for the things of God. Nope. We want you to be satisfied, well-adjusted, and practical. Those that are merciful. No, we're big fans of revenge and retribution. Those that are pure in heart. Nope. We want people that are sophisticated and of this world. Instead of peacemakers, we love the competitive and the aggressive. Instead of those persecuted because of righteousness, who wants that? I'd rather be popular, reputable, approved of in the eyes of the world, right? Next slide. Blue room. Another way to say this, what's greatness in the world? Well, it's power and strength, it's stature and status, it's fame and it's reputation, it's wealth, success, physical attractiveness, Check. Sex appeal. Double check. Revenge and retribution. That's greatness in the world, right? Anyone going to disagree with that list? No way. Greatness in the kingdom. Weakness is strength. Those that want to be first must be last. Those that want to be great must be servants. 
Jesus takes the world's value system and flips it upside down. So instead of left-hand column, you've got kindness, compassion, mercy, forgiveness, humility, service. And instead of revenge, love of neighbor and love of enemy. Now, do you see what Jesus is up to? If you want to know what Jesus values, take what American culture values, flip it upside down, and those are the values of Jesus. Because anything that's not well regarded by the world's eyes is almost automatically highly regarded by Jesus. And vice versa. Now, I don't know about you, but would you agree that there should be some sort of difference between those people that claim the name of Jesus and those that don't? Should, I mean, just in theory, shouldn't there be some difference between those that have said they're forgiven, they've received the Spirit of the living God, this Jesus is their master, and so they study Him and they try to emulate Him, and by the power of grace and the Spirit in them, try to live that way. Shouldn't there be some piece of difference between people that say yes to that and people that say no to that? Would you think there should be some difference? And is there? Sometimes. I mean, what's the greatest objection out there to Christianity? Hypocrites. Now, on one hand, we're all hypocrites. Can I get an amen? But on the other hand, I'm all for hypocrites that are actually progressing away from their hypocrisy. I'm all for people who over time, I mean, literally, if you just took two people and you didn't know them, and you looked at their internet browser history, and you looked at their television viewing habits, and you looked at their reading list, and you looked at how they spend their leisure time, and how they fight with people when they're angry, and how they raise their children, and what they look at, and what they watch, and what they listen to, if you just had a list of where they spend their money, and how they spend their time, shouldn't there be a difference? For far too many, there isn't. Not one. So there are those of us that need to be reminded that the world out there, they're actually good things. But just as many, if not more, need to be reminded the world out there, it's conforming to many of us. I mean, think about I was trying to think of all the ways that I feel conformed. Right? So here's some of mine. I'll take just even Christian culture. In church, bigger is better, Right? Right? If it's big, God must be blessing it, right? That's what I think. And then I remember that NASCAR has big crowds. <laughs> and that lots of people love country music. So that breaks the, up the image that bigger is better. But, but isn't it interesting? I mean, we have these big pastors' conferences. And we never put up the dude that's been ministering in a house church of 30 people. We always put up the person that's got a church of 10,000. There's a list in a magazine of the 100 fastest growing churches. And this is from people who say they follow a man who said the first will be last and the last will be first. And nobody sees, nobody sees how stupid that is. See, worldliness is what makes sin seem normal. I mean, how about the pressure I feel to be a really good CEO of a large organization instead of a pastor? Do you want to know if I run a really effective 30-minute meeting when you are diagnosed with cancer? Do you really care? I doubt it. 
Or how about, hey, the church should exist to meet the felt needs of people. (laughs) I think the church exists to change the felt needs of people. Jesus is not your life coach. He's not making you a better husband. Now, he may, but that's not his goal. His goal is far more radical. His goal is to turn you into another one of him. Or think about just individually, right? I mean, it used to be tolerance was something that existed between two people who disagreed with each other. I would look at somebody and say, you're wrong. They would look at me and say, I'm wrong. But we would both agree, civilly, that we were each entitled to our opinion. We would treat each other with respect and fight for each other's right to disagree. Now it means, don't you ever say anybody else is wrong. Seriously, I read, I read a website from a dude who gave advice on how to treat people when they're having an affair. And not one word was about, hey, you're in sin. Not one word. It was all about understanding. We'll understand after you've repented. I mean, seriously, it's like, I'm sorry, I'm going off. How about happiness? Do you know the ancients viewed happiness as having a good character? It didn't didn't matter how you were feeling. You were happy if you had a good character. What, What is it today? Happiness is the satisfaction of my desires. That's all it is. So do you have, from God's perspective, an inalienable right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of your desires? Not at all. But this is the stuff we live in. So for some of us, we need to be reminded, hey, there's good and truth and beauty out there. For others of us, man, I need to be reminded that college students don't automatically have to be drunkards. I have to be reminded that college students don't have to experiment in order to grow. I need to be reminded that I didn't miss out because I wasn't sexually adventurous as a kid. I need to be reminded that the gospel of Donald Trump isn't redemptive. I need to be reminded that bigger isn't always better. And that faithfulness is better than relevance sometimes. See, the biggest gift the church should give the world is its difference from it. And far too many times, we just want to blur the lines. Hey, you can be cool and follow Jesus. You can be successful and follow Jesus. And all of that is true. But when Jesus showed off Jesus, it wasn't the best and the brightest and the beautiful that he put on display. Hey, here's a woman that had seven demons cast out of her. Here's a leper that I... Leopard. Here's a leper. Maybe he healed leopards. Here's a leper that I healed. Here's a woman that's had five husbands, right? He didn't put the best and brightest to show off. He put the weakest. Because it's in our weakness he's strong. I mean, don't you hunger every now and again to be reminded the church is to provide an alternative to the nations. That we should live a collective life together in such a way that we can say with integrity to our neighbors, You don't have to be driven by money. You don't have to be driven by porn and lust. 
You don't have to judge people on the basis of what they look like. You don't have to climb the corporate ladder to find meaning and purpose and success. You can find all of that through giving yourself away. I mean, shouldn't we be, to be the church, shouldn't there be a marked difference between how we live and act and talk and how everybody else does? See, I hunger for this. Not not out of guilt. Not out of shame. Not out of condemnation. I mean, I'm guilty of worldliness. Bring it. I'm guilty. All those things I listed, those are things I struggle with. But can the people of God just wake up and stop labeling things and start evaluating them? I have three kids. We start watching cartoons. Now, let me tell you what. The studies that show how harmful it is that we let our kids watch so much, play so much media, I mean, we immerse them and then wonder, hey, how come they're not turning out like little angels? So, they get an hour of TV on Saturday, an hour of TV on Sunday. They get an hour of video games on Saturday, an hour of video games on Sunday, and that is it. So I sit down and I start watching cartoons with them. Now, you may think this is totally ridiculous, and I am totally ridiculous, so point given. But as we're watching cartoons, I'm just noticing, like, there are these cartoons that, and no, there's no adult. And if there are adults, the adults are dumb. And I was like, do I want my kids believing that the way the world works is that never look at an adult for help because they're idiots? So we didn't watch those. And then there was another one I remember distinctly where the, there was a brother and a sister. The brother always disobeyed and the sister always covered for him. And I was like, well, I, I don't want my kids to think. Or, or take infomercials. I love infomercials because I love the journey that I have from the beginning at the half hour when I say that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard to the end of the half hour where I'm thinking, that would really be useful. I mean, I think I would really, like Costco is like that to me too in a very practical sense. But I love infomercials. One time my wife and I, and I'm so embarrassed, we bought the Ab King. And here's the promise of the Ab King. It's a belt. And, and it sends electrical charges into your stomach so the muscles contract. So you get a six-pack without ever doing sit-ups. Now, you can tell it's worked. So we get this thing, and, and it was like, the, the advertisement said it's a gentle current. It was like somebody had a hot fork and they were sticking it in my gut. And so you'd just be walking around. And it wasn't just, it was like, it was horrible. So I love watching infomercials. Now, do you, when you watch them, are you a bit more skeptical when you watch infomercials than you are with normal television? Absolutely. We know these are idiot things. And so we're all just like, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. What if instead of the people of God labeling things, what if we took the skepticism we had towards infomercials and used it to filter everything coming into our lives and the lives of our family? What if we actually strove to say, okay, God, 
I want to be so immersed in the things of you that I can actually smell the counterfeits. I can tell the things that are damaging because I'm not going to reject all of it outright. i got to stay in it. But I need to be careful to not be conformed to the parts that are against you. Far too many of us just walk around going, hey, it's all neutral. No, it's not. What we yearn for is the people of God to wake up and to say, The same skepticism I had to my children's cartoons, the same skepticism you have towards an infomercial or a politician's speech. Let's apply that everywhere, shall we? And let's claim the good and say, hey, by the way, that thing that you think is true, that points to this Jesus I worship. That thing right there. And over here, this piece of art, man, I know who stands behind that one. I mean, what if the people of God actually start engaging this way? Go to Matthew. One last passage. Matthew chapter 20. Are we preaching? I mean, is there preaching happening? Because I'm not so sure. I just don't know. I mean, it feel, my throat hurts. It feels like I've been preaching. I'm sweaty with that normal. I mean, that doesn't have anything to do with anything. <laughs> So, the disciples. Mom of two of the disciples shows up and she says, Jesus, you know, look, when you do the Messiah thing, there's going to be this big banquet. And you know how, like, you're going to be the person of honor, but it'd be great if my kids were right next to you. I mean, it'd just be really cool, you know, while you're ruling the universe, that on the two seats next to you were my kids. And Jesus I don't think you really know what you're asking. Now, the other 10 disciples hear about this and they're ticked off. Verse 24. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers and their mom. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And others, and other people, everyone's a dictator in training. And the high officials, Exercise authority over them. What's the next line? Not so with you. It's one of my favorite lines in the Bible. Hey, hey, hey! Ambition, right? That's the path to success. Not so with you. I gotta step on people my, on my way up the corporate ladder. Not so with you. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I actually need to be real assertive and I need to claim my rights. Not so with you. Control and manipulation are okay as long as they're used for a greater good, namely my career advancement. Not so with you. It's okay to blur in the ethical lines, right, as long as I'm making money to provide for my family. Not so with you. It's okay to be greedy. Not so with you. I mean, I love that phrase over and over. Not so with you. You've signed up for something else entirely. What is highly valued in God's sight is not highly valued in the world. What is highly valued in the world's sight is not highly valued by God. And so Jesus says, instead, whoever wants to become great must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. So we're going to celebrate communion And I want you to see this as not only a reminder of what Jesus did, but I want you to see this as now your job description. 
Like we're going to take bread and we're going to take a cup and we're going to remember the body that was broken and the blood that was spilled because Jesus came and said, I didn't come to serve. Excuse me, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. See, that's our job description too. The reason we're against the world is because we're for the world. We believe our best gift to the world is our difference from it. We believe that we are actually to show people there's another way to be human. And that living under God's good rule is good. And so when we take communion, it's not just a celebration of what Jesus has done. It's an invitation to now reenact in a very tiny way that same posture to the world. For God so loved the world. How do we do that? Well, we enjoy it because it's created by Him. And we love people because they're made in His image. And we claim what's good for us and Jesus' purposes. We reject what is bad and provide an alternative. That's what we do. Because God loved the world. And so, this morning, we normally pass plates this morning, we just want to invite you to take some of the bread, rip it off, and dip it into the cup. Obviously, tables up here, there are two in the back. And when you go to the back, that, you don't have to leave then. <laughs> People are like, okay, sweet, I'm out. <laughs> Would you stand with me for a second? Got a couple questions for you. Stretch it out. Alabama, stretch it out. Stretch it. You got to prepare your body for the Lord's Supper, evidently, and we're going to stretch it. Got a couple of questions for you. Evidently, as I move my stand, close your eyes. Where in your life are you being conformed to the patterns of the world. On the little charts or in the examples, do any of those hit with you? Is there, my hope is that there's a waking up that we would recognize that we swim in a stream. Some of it's good, but some of it's really, really corrupting. And that we would reject what is against God we would accept what points to Him. But in all things, we would seek to embody the sacrifice of Jesus for the world's sake. This is why we do this discernment, because we're for the world. So where is it you're being conformed? Naming it is half the battle. Where would God look Describe something you believe and then say, not so with you. Lord Jesus, we take the bread and we remember that your body was broken. We drink from the cup, remembering that your blood was shed. We do this because we're forgetful people. We do this because we need to be reminded that the gospel is good news for us. That we stand now forgiven. We take it this morning too, Lord, 
We think of Paul speaking of his life as being poured out. Paul modeled for us what it means to be broken for the world. And God, we want to be that. And so give us grace this morning as we sing your praises, as we participate in the Lord's Supper. Convict us where we need convicting. Give us courage and give us faith that we might put you on display. In the name of the Lord Jesus, whom we now celebrate, amen. Go ahead and make your way forward if you would like. You can eat, take a piece of bread, dip it, then take the elements whenever you would like to.